we're here. <laughs> no days off. Um, this is really cool. Thanks for, uh, I'm glad we're finally getting to do this. We've been chatting about doing this for a very, very long time. Definitely. No, I appreciate, listen, first of all, for you to take your time and, and do this is an honor for me. And there's, I was literally, I was like trying to identify somebody in Miami that I could tell my story to. And you're like literally the only person in Miami that I would sit down and do this with. Mm. Like seriously, it's weird. It's, and, it, and I know we're, you know, we don't see each other as much as we, well, as much as probably I would want to, but because um, you're very busy and I'm very busy, but I think when it comes to uh, communication and just a strong manly relationship, like I, I value it, you know, tremendously. So. Absolutely. It's completely uh, reciprocal from my end. And we'll get into a little bit about how you've impacted my life through the years. But um, I thought it was just kind of cool. Like today, I think the goal of what I'm just trying to do a little bit is just, yeah, tell the story. And right. I think life is a collection of stories. Life's a collection of moments. And we never really know exactly what specific moment makes us, but it's, it's a combination of all these moments strung together that's like, it's who I am. And um, you're making such big waves here in the city of Miami, but really, in the last few years, it's like, I feel like there's such a national wave of dreams in your heart and things that are starting to happen. But I think it's always fun to kind of go back to some of the origin stories, like where something began. And just talk a little bit about like, how did you even get to Miami? Because you are not, from this city, like, yeah. Uh, but now today you're Mr. 305 in many ways. But like, how did you even get to Miami? Let's talk about it. We're going to talk about the gyms. We're talking about the water, the, the the merch, the the clothing line, the designs. But like, let's get back. Yeah, let's go back let's just, to the root. Let's go back to the beginning. I don't know how many so. sparkling waters we're going to drink, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we might have to take a bathroom break. The ABV is low in this, guys. Yeah, so there you, go. you know, um, yeah. So it was really interesting. I uh, I was. Um, an assistant strength coach at Sanford University. And I was thinking, you know, that, that, was, that was what I was gonna do. I was gonna be a strength coach and, uh, you know, grow in the rankings and do that for a living. And I was personal training also at um, a place called AC Fitness. It used to be Gold's Gym. And- <clears throat> That's buddy, all in Alabama? Yeah, this, so this is in yeah. Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I, uh, you know, you get to that point where you've told the story so many times you think people know where totally. you're from. But yeah, I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, graduated from Auburn University, played football there. So I'm in Birmingham, being a strength coach at Sanford University. A buddy of mine, um, this incredibly looking handsome black man that was a good friend of mine that went to uh, school with me, he was in Miami modeling and working in movies and modeling and stuff. And he hits me up and he's like, hey, if you shave your head, and this is when I had lovely locks, locks like yourself, Ooh, I actually yeah. had hair. Um, he's like, if you shave your head right now, then I bet I can get you a job as a body double on Bad Boys 2. <laughs> so I was like, I kid you not, within 30 minutes, I shaved my head and sent him a picture. So I was just like, you know, it was like, you were down for it. Yeah, I was like, whatever, you yeah, know, I'm I was young for an, and I'm looking go. for an opportunity. Yeah. And uh, so I shaved my head, sent him a picture, and literally they hired me on the spot. I, I looked identical to the guy. <laughs> It was a character called Zank in Bad Boys 2. Yes. And in the beginning of the movie, he comes out of the water. The back of his bald head comes out of the water, and that's, that's the back of my bald head. So Let's go. Yeah. And so it was paying like $300 a day. When I show up on set, they're like, oh, are you manning the stunt man? And I was like, uh, yes, I am. You know, I was like, I don't know about stunts, but whatever. And I had my own trailer, and they made like a fake bullet wound in me. And like it, it shot for like about three months. Got to hang out with Will Smith's body double. and. I actually never met Will Smith, but 
I was with all the body doubles and the stuntmen and stuff, you know? And that's like a whole world? Yeah. Michael Bay yelled at me like at least three times. Really? Like screamed at me, you uh, know? Uh, what was his so, situation? You weren't listening it's interesting. or what? <laughs> no, he was just trying to make a point. And, it, and I didn't really understand it at the time, but when you see the movie, so there was a scene where you light a fuse and your hands, so if you can imagine when you go to the movie theater, that huge screen, your hands are on the entire screen. Yeah. So he's like, your hands are gonna be on the entire screen. Make sure you do it right. You know, and I'm like, what? You know, and uh, so it was, it, was, it was such an experience. And I've from, actually had dinner with Michael Bay. Oh yeah, times. He's a, he was a wild man. If I ever get a chance so. again to have dinner with him, I wanna say, do you know my friend Manny Sumner? You I doubt you remember. Was he, what, was like a manicure that you needed or was more so like, what did you no, have to do? No, because I had gloves on, so I didn't really understand the, but there was a way that to light the fuse yeah. that he wanted to make sure that my hands weren't blocking the fuse and that you could see me light it. You know, it's very detailed. He was warning. fired up about it. Yeah, and he, he was inspired up by it. Like and were you inspired sure by that or you were just scared? It was a little intimidating at first because, you know, this is this A is world you first. know nothing about. Exactly. I'm fresh off the boat from Alabama, <laughs> you know, like trying to, trying to be an actor, you know, like I was not one. So it was, uh, it was challenging but fun. But I kind of identified that this is definitely not something that's gonna pay the bills. And I was literally living in a, the smallest apartment you can imagine on Euclid Road with this six foot four friend of mine. So we're stepping on each other. And I was like, all right, I gotta make some money. I yeah. gotta get the heck out of his, his apartment. So I went to Crunch and I'll never forget, I spoke to a guy named Scott Hauser. Uh, and I was like, hey, you know, are you, are you hiring? And they were like, actually, we do independent contractors and anyone can train here. You just got to pay the rent fee. So I was like, done. So I started paying the rent fee. There was 38 trainers at Crunch Gym at the time. And Crunch was like where everybody went. Yep. Like Beyonce, 50 Cent. Um, I mean, it, it was just a, 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 it was a scene. It was a scene. It was 13th and Washington, yep. you know, next to the clubs. And it was back when South Beach was like, South and what year? Beach. This is like 2000. So this is 2001. Wow. Yeah. Taking it back. And, uh, and so I got the job and literally within three months, I had more clients than all 38 trainers. So I kind of like immediately established myself. Um, what do you attribute that to? Just being personable, like. I think working uh, hard like what, 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 what were you doing differently you feel like I think when I first came I was I was like it was very obvious I was like young and from Alabama you know had the accent yeah. and like and it, I just kind of stood out at the time I mean I would like to think I still look good but at the time I was shredded you know looked really good and I kind of was a show-off from that standpoint so I, I would work out you know, with shirt off and like kind of yeah, yeah. be on display, but also knew what I was doing too. So I had a strength and conditioning background. So I think the combination of looking the part, but also knowing what I was doing was very attractive. And then also too, I mean, let's face it, Miami was full of, you know, the gay population and I had 17 gay clients really? right at the beginning because they loved me, you know, loved and, you. and I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I mean, they, they love to work out, they have money and wow. they're loyal too. So. It, uh, it just worked out, you know, it worked out. So you're working hard, you're going to work every day. What do you feel like, when you look back at that time, what, what do you think you were learning that has even stuck with you to this moment? Like, if you go back, that's 20 years right, ago. Right. What's something that you're going, man, that thing I learned then is something I'm still applying today? I think um, dealing with people, first and foremost. I think 
like I just said, 17 gay clients, but then there was also, you know, probably 14, you know, regular people, but every single person was different. Like every single personality was different. Some were difficult, some were needy, some were easy, some needed more attention than others, some needed you to be hard, some needed you to be soft, some, you know what I mean? Like there was, you, you didn't have one client, you had 24 different personalities that you had to manage and figure out how to motivate them, how to keep them uh, progressing, how to keep them engaged in this journey of fitness, uh, how to stimulate them in, in different ways, each, each person. And, um, and then also too, just kind of like, like throwing yourself out there from a standpoint of being able to talk to anybody. Like I feel like I'm that kind of person that I can just talk to anyone. Yeah. Like sometimes you yell when you're not supposed to yell. Like you, you, like, you think that this is a client that needs that needs to be, you know, like, do it again, like yeah. that. And then all of a sudden, they don't talk to you for three days. You're yeah. like, oh, no, I shouldn't have yelled at you. I read so that then wrong. You, yeah, I read it wrong, right. So I wasn't perfect by any means. Yeah. I lost clients. I, I uh, said the wrong things. I did the wrong. But through that, you're like, man, if I would have handled, if I would have recognized there were signs. Like, and then you go back and you play it over your head. And you're like, man, there were signs. I should have I listened. But a lot of times, you do it a certain way. And I come from coaching background. So coaches, like, they're constantly yelling at you, correcting you, and, uh, and so you think that's the only way. So it was really just a time for me to, to develop new um, ways to do things and that I didn't have to be so intense all the time with everybody. Sure. And I think that's what I take with me today. Uh, certainly, it's been 20 years of learning that, but I think uh, it, it, to answer your question, to go back to that time, that would be the biggest thing is just learning how to deal with people, all shapes, sizes, sexes, ethnicity, every, everything, just dealing with different personalities. Which is really the key factor, I think, to any kind of a great leader is learning how to work through people, uh, work with people. Right. I think what I'm really fascinated by, and the reason why I'm even asking that is just because there's not really any secrets to success. There are just routines that go unnoticed. <laughs> It's the compound effect. And so even when I'm saying that, it's like I think that we learn lessons along the way, but there's some lessons you learn at 20 years of age that you have to keep doing at 40 years of age. It's like right. when I went and got my um, driver's license, like going to whatever the driver's school was, right? It's like 10 and two, right? <laughs> 10 and two. Well, I'm now 38 and I'm still driving a car and I still have to do 10 and two. Right. Like if I don't do 10 and two, I'm gonna swerve off the road. Maybe I got a little bit better at driving, but I'm saying, there's certain principles that what I did at the start of my career, I still have to do at the end of my career. Otherwise you will swerve off, otherwise you will find yourself destroyed. And so I, I like the lessons that we learn, but sometimes people think it's like, um, oh, that was small time. But it's not small right. time, it's, it's the beginning of time that begins to create principles, codes, um, like standards that we live by. Yeah. That you, that it ne you never lose it. You know, and if anything, you got to even take that and, and again, apply it, apply it, apply yeah. it, apply it, apply it. So I remember, I, I remember as a young man, just like 23 weeks, first of church type stuff. I just, I had to learn how to get something done with very little resource. So I just think even at 38, we might have more resource today, but I want to believe that I learned how to be resourceful. Right. I want to learn that I believe how to be innovative, that innovation is birthed out of limitation. So many times we curse the limits that we're given, but it's actually the limitation that's creating a pathway 
for innovation and that, I love the way you said and that so it's, too. It's, it's a mindset, you know. Yeah. And I think that those early days, you're starting to form a mindset that we're going to get to where we're at today. But going back to those early days at Crunch is a big part of the story. So you're there, you're training, you're teaching. How long before you get out of Crunch, and what's that journey? Yeah. So um, what and, happened? And was, you're how old? Are you 23, 24. So I'm. How old am I? 2001. 23. 20 years ago. Something yeah. like yeah, that. Exactly, yeah. 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 Not to. You know, I'm old yeah. fart over here, but yeah, uh, I'm 45 now. So yeah, it was, it was, it was something we like that. You did your 40th birthday in 2019. I know that. Oh in yeah, New that's York right. City. In New York, right we before the pandemic. Yes. And that we was were a great time. Sick. We were sick as dogs. We, we, I think we had COVID. We didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> we were sick. Yeah. A year before it came out, we had it that <laughs> yeah, summer. Exactly. We were so sick and we just, we, we, it was, it was Manny's birthday. We went to New York. We went to go see Dave Chappelle. We were both under the weather and we wouldn't allow ourselves to not still celebrate. It was kind of funny because it's like, we already made this plan, we're gonna do it, yeah, but we, we were like, awful. We were, I mean, we were deathly sick. It, it was, was bad, fun, bro. Yeah, but we had a good time. Yes. We made the most out of it. So you're at Crunch. Talk about, you're working there, you got all these clients coming. Yeah. That's the beginning of you going, oh, I'm good at this. Yeah, I think uh, I identified immediately that, the, the, I, it, exactly the way you just said it. I was like, you know what? I must be good at this because I have more clients than anybody. But I didn't let it go to my head. It was more like, and this is why I think is because, so I had a lot of friends because of my college football days that were in the NFL. Sure. So I started getting phone calls from my NFL friends of like, hey, what are you doing? Where are you at? And as soon as I said Miami, they were like, oh, bro, we got to come. You know, we got to come. So everybody loved Miami. So I started to get some of the guys coming down during the off season and I started training some NFL guys in the off season. That's when I met the uh, infamous Nevin Shapiro, who most people know from the Ponzi scheme, but I actually met him before all of that happened, way before all that happened. And he was the largest donor of the University of Miami. And he just like really took me under his wing. He was just like, we just hit it off from day one. I was training him and his, his three girlfriends um, and his wife. Wow. <laughs> and, wow. um, and then he started introducing me to the Drew Rosenhaus of the world, uh, Jeremy Shockey, Antrell Roll, all the UM players, and some of the guys that had already graduated are in the NFL. And so we just started building on that, and I started training, training um, uh, what's the guy? Uh, Anthony Clark, his name was Tony Clark. He was primarily Jeremy Shockey's trainer. So we came up with this program and this system of training professional athletes. So we literally were training guys for like four hours a day. So we'd wake up, we would do a morning weight routine, then we'd go to the beach and we'd do sand drills and stuff, and then we would go um, uh, uh, the Flamingo Athletic Club, we'd run the stairs. Like we made like a whole day out of it. Then we'd party like crazy at night. We'd yeah. go to Privé and all these places, party all night, and then do it again the next day. And this is when like athletes actually What facilities were you using? Because you didn't have your own yet. You so were... that was when I left Crunch and I went to a place called the Flamingo Athletic Club. Okay, Flamingo. So a guy named John Hanrahan was running it. Fantastic guy. Um, almost, I would say, even another mentor of mine. Like just a great, he was a, a, a world-class wrestler and his, his uh, just dedication to fitness, his yeah. dedication to excellence, um, the way he did everything uh, was just, just you, you took notes. So you, you were know? renting space essentially there to bring clients through. Yeah, so I was a, I was a personal trainer that rented space that, that uh, started training these professional athletes in this space. There was a full court basketball court Jeez. on the roof. We would play basketball for hours. And I mean, I'm talking some runs. I mean, Jeremy Shockey, like Jim Jones, like, I mean, Jeez, it was like a bro. scene. It was like a celebrity scene out there in athlete scene. 
And I ended up having 29 NFL guys that I was responsible for during the off season. And, and then I, I met a guy named Troy. So, so this is crazy that I have, I have two former clients that, that went to prison, um, one for a Ponzi scheme and another one for, that was a con artist. But of course I didn't know that when I was training them. Yeah. But I met this guy named Troy Stratus and he was like, hey, I need a personal trainer to travel with. Would you, would you, you, know, would you do it? And I literally, again, I was just at that age I think where you wanted to try, you wanted to challenge yourself, you wanted to try anything. So he was like, I'm getting on a private jet tomorrow, like I'll pay you today and, and we're off to the races. And I was like, done. So I left all that business aside and jumped on a private jet, had a big stack of cash in my pocket and started training this, what I thought was a businessman. He yeah. kept, come to find out he was a car artist, but uh, we ended up in LA with Eddie Murphy's ex-wife, we ended up we ended up traveling all over the place, staying at these penthouses, and it was, it was a wild time. But um, then, uh, I'll make a long what story short. What do you short. think at that point, did you, feel, did you think you had vision at that point, or you were just taking the opportunities that came your way? Like vision what, for, for like just like, going, uh, like, you, like you gave up all those clients. Yeah. Was that, was so that, that a was big a decision, or that was kind of like you shaving your head when exactly. bad boy, you were yeah. kind of in this place of going, I'm young, I'm down for an adventure? Is that kind of what you, or? I think so, I think, I think I probably was a little bit naive in the fact that I saw $10,000 in cash in front of me. Yeah. Like instant, instant money. I think the private jet and the fanciness of it was enticing at the time. Um, certainly didn't realize that giving up a consistent, steady clientele to then take on a person, a person who happened to be fraudulent. Exactly. So I tell people all the time that it's the when I watch Devil Wears Prada, you remember that movie? Yeah, of course. When Anne I Hathaway. watched that movie, Meryl Streep's some of her finest work. Yeah. Chill out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course. When I watch that movie, I I watch it as if I went through it. Like really? he treated me like that. Okay. Like he would he would say do this, and it would be an impossible task, and I would have to figure out a way to do it. You know. So I think during that time, although it was, it was very weird and stressful and, and I, it, it was creepy to be honest, like the guy was definitely like bisexual and hit on me every day and it was very weird. Um, I learned a ton of how to figure stuff out, again, how to deal with people and how to manage through just serving, even though, yeah, yeah I was serving a con artist, but I didn't know it at the time, but I was, I was just committed to doing a good job. Sure. Whether, what, however that looked like. And so by traveling with him and doing all this crazy stuff, I was just learning, learning how to figure out and learning how to deal with difficult people. Yep. And um, so then that blew up in my face because he told me he loved me and he wanted me to, he wanted me to be his Brad Pitt. And I was like, uh, I'll, I'll see you later. So really? I literally, I will never forget, it was at a sushi restaurant in LA. He like looks me like deep in, the, in my eyes and he's like, I'm in love with you. I want, you, I want to make you the next Brad Pitt. And, you know, and I was like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> you know, I was like, You're I'm out. out. So I literally, I, and I think back then it was taxis. I literally take a taxi from the airport, go home, no clients, no money. How long had you been on the road with him? Or? Six months. Oh, wow. And by the way, he's supposed to pay me $10,000 a month, and I only got the first month. 
Cause I was living, you know, he was paying for yeah, everything yeah. on the road and stuff. He's like, I'm good. Like. Yeah, so I figured I was good. So he, he conned me also. So then I get back to Miami with nothing, you know, with nothing. No clients, I give my clients away, you know, so I had to essentially start over. Wow. But that's when I met Scott Stapp. So then I meet Scott Stapp and we just hit it off and I become front his man, private. Front man for Creed. Front man for Creed. Yeah. And I meet him and we hit it off and I become his private personal trainer. Tell me about training. meeting Scott Stapp. How do you meet Scott? He comes in with your training again he walks in or you know what? friends? I honestly don't remember. You know, like crowbar the actual, I don't remember the crowbar. It's like random yeah. clubs from Miami in the early 2000s. It was an introduction. It was someone introduced in, introduced me to him, and he asked, you know, what I did, and I told him, and then he was like, I need someone, and he was fat at the time. Like it was one of his periods where he just got off uh, like painkillers or something, so he was he was swollen and fat, and he was about to put out his new album. His his uh the Scott Stapp album. Okay. It was after Creed. Yeah. And yeah, you know what? It's a guy named Manny. I forget his last name. It was his manager that yep. introduced me. Now, now I remember. His name was Manny. I met him years ago. Okay. So it was him that introduced me. And, and um, it was crazy because he threw up every single session for three weeks straight. And every time I was like, oh my God, he's going to fire me. He's going to fire me. Like this guy was like, I mean, and I'm talking violent throwing like, Bleh! you know, like every day. And I'm like, this is never going to stop. And I literally, after every session, I was like, he's going to fire me. He's going to fire me. And, and three weeks later, he like starts to look better. He starts to feel better. Mm -hmm. And then he stops throwing up and then I can push him a little bit more. And then before you know it, I mean, this guy looked amazing. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it was really fun period of time for me. I was in the studio with him a lot. Uh, just helping all aspects. I was kind of like the security also, you know, security yeah. detail, which was very difficult dealing with a guy like him. But, uh, but it was fun. I mean, we went to every heat game on floor seats, yep. you know, like it was a good time. Uh, and, and again, a good learning experience to deal with. And I don't want to call him a difficult person, but just somebody at a high level that sure. you had to serve. Again, it goes back to sacrificing your time for someone else. Everything was about them. It didn't, you know, it wasn't about like, if, it, if he called me at three o'clock in the morning, I had to be available, you know, that kind of thing. And, sure. and so it was, it was definitely a learning lesson. Um, so yeah, I mean, I could talk about all these things for hours, but. That idea know. of then, like, I think what's fascinating is, and I think it's also encouraging because once again, whenever you start to compare then and now, people can see now and if they're not careful, they can just think now was always then, but it's not. It, it, it's yeah. always sort of a broken, fragmented, even, it's never a straight path, right? It's kind of like over here and over there. I just feel like the guy that I know today though is so laser focused with like intense vision. Yeah. Was that in you then or, that's all I'm trying, I'm trying to land on that like, yeah. are you working for Scott and are you going, Oh, I could do this for two other major celebrities, or no. You just I always saw, I always saw a facility. I okay. always saw me owning a gym, um, and actually not even just a gym. I, I saw myself owning a sports complex, like with a pool and a yeah, track yeah. and a full court basketball court and all the amenities and like I always saw because I was training and where it came from was I was trained. Do you hear that? It's like crazy. I don't know what that is. Might Anyways. be outside of the yeah, place. It's all yeah. Good. Um, 
So when you talk about vision, I think, I think the, the vision for legacy started happening when I was training the, the uh, con artists because we were going to all of these gyms across the country. And every single time we would go to a new gym, I would say to myself, the energy in here is like, eh. The mm. setup is the exact same. Every single gym you walk into, front desk, you have offices, you have a cardio section, a free weight section, um, a, a, a machine section, and then aerobics room, right? They all look the same. Whether 24-hour fitness, Gold's Gym, Equinox, all of these gyms, they look the same, they feel the same, there's TVs everywhere, everybody's walking around with zombies with their headphones on, and I'm like, and I came from a college football background, so I'm like, this isn't fitness, this isn't cool, like there's no energy in here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I went to one place in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, it was a Gold's Gym in Salt Lake City, Utah, and it had the most gorgeous view of the mountains, but other than that, the gym was, was whack, but the view was cool. Mm. And so, I was taking mental notes the entire time of if I own the gym, this is what it would look like. If I had the opportunity with this space, mm. I would, I always, I've done this my whole life because of my mom. So my mom, my mom used to rearrange the living room and the dining room like once a month. And then I would help her. And then it got to a point where I would do it. And so I was like an interior decorator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I loved it. And then she also took me shopping with her all the time. So I would like, you know, watch her, you know, do the shopping and what she picked out and things like that. And that's kind of where my, my creative com comes from. And I used, to this day, if I walk into a bank, like if I'm in the bank, I'm looking at how I would remodel it and how I'd rob it. Like, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. what I'm doing. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm not just in there waiting on my thing. I'm literally analyzing this place is ugly, this is how I'd make it look better, and then if I wanted to rob it, I could do it like this, you know, wow, like that. Yeah. And that's how I am with gyms. So when I walk into gyms, I'm like, why do they have this here? That doesn't make any functional sense. Like, why do they do this? Why do they do this? And through that experience is how I design legacy in my head. Um, and obviously I didn't know when or how it would happen. Sure, yeah. And so when I was training Scott, you're, you're so in the moment of training and being that servant to him, you're probably not thinking about that vision, you yeah. know? But, but it didn't mean that I wasn't um, like kind of like putting things in Filing things away. Filing yeah, things yeah. away, yeah. So that's, yeah. I think one of the things that's really interesting that I've learned about all great leaders, and I don't know if it's always, I don't know if people phrase it this way, but I think it's a good way to phrase it, is that many times, vision is truly birthed out of frustration. And so people are like, I don't know if I have vision or I don't know if I, and I always go, well, what are you frustrated about? So it's like, if you're looking for- Cause that's, and correct me if I'm wrong where you're going with this. When you say that, how I see it, how I hear it is that frustration causes you to have to solve a problem. And to me, that's what leadership is. It's constantly solving problems. You got it. And so yeah. it's like, you're walking into gyms going, this isn't right. Like I got this client here and this could be so much better. Yeah. So you're frustrated about a current status quo, but what you're looking for doesn't exist yet. Therefore you're dreaming up something. You're seeing something with your eyes closed. That's creating a picture of some sort. It might not all come perfectly. Sometimes it does, but you're starting to get vision. Right. But it works this way, not just with like our businesses, 
I'll, I'll talk to men. It's like, bro, what's your vision for your marriage? It's like, vision for my marriage? I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Well, it's like, start with your frustration points. Are you tired of sleeping on the couch and not in bed with I your spouse? So. Right, now you have to give a vision. The vision is, we don't, these are values. These are, we, we don't, when we fight, we don't separate for the night. Well, that's right. a vision statement. You know what I mean? That's something to run towards. And so um, I, I just, I, I like those connection points because I feel like every great leader, whether it's business, usually there's a place of going, there's a need that I like to meet and there's not a supply for it. There's right. not, I can't find the answer. So I have to go make the answer. I have to go solve it myself. You're with Scott. How long are you serving with him? And how long, it, it, where does it break off that all of a sudden you start your own gym? Yeah, so that was in, oh man, that was in 2004 and five, I believe. And then we really kind of had a falling out because I went, I went. So Scott was amazing during the time we were in Miami. He was all about his kid and training and getting right and then launching his album once the album was done and we went to LA to launch the album I kid you not this guy turned into like Jim Morrison <laughs> like he just his personality flipped so it was back to drinking out of the bottle like Jack Daniels and it, it just you know anyways make a long story short it, it kind of fell, fell out again one of those scenarios where I had to start over you know because you you had one main client kind of paying yep. your bills and he was paying me you know so it was a good situation but I came back to Miami kind of like, all right. Were you disappointed? I was. I, you know, something with me <laughs> that I don't think people really understand is like, when I'm all in, I am all in. Like, so if you hire me to do something or I'm your friend, then I am like, I care more than I should. I, like I'm 100% about you. So when people let me down and, and almost act like it's my fault and put in like, say, you know, the relationship didn't work, and that's what he did. Like he came into my apartment, I'll never forget, and was like basically kind of like, like blaming his faults on me, you know, and saying it didn't work out or whatever. And, and, and then, you know, we, we parted ways. So that was definitely frustrating. And that's the last time you ever talked to him? Or you guys that's the last time I ever talked to him. Yeah, we, I, we were sitting on the floor of my apartment and- We gotta get you guys back together. I know, right? Man. No, I love the guy. I mean, I think he's great. I think he's um, doing good. I think he's, he is doing good now, yeah. so, but, uh, yeah, it was, a, and again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that time for anything. I, sure. I loved that time. I mean, it was, it was awesome. But you come but, back um, a little bit disappointed, a little bit discouraged, a little bit hurt, sad. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you. I got to rebuild again. Exactly. I mean, it was like, but I'll tell you one thing. I've never, I've never been a type of person to like wallow, you know, like to be like, oh, poor pitiful me. I jump back on the horse every single yeah, time. Like, sure. I'm like, all right, what's next? Let's go. So. For me, it was like, all right, it didn't work out, let's go. So I honestly just went right back into training and you know, building clientele, and then that's when I met Mark Gordon. So Mark Gordon uh, found me in the newspaper. So I did something that I've never done before. I actually put a newspaper ad, and I used to do stuff like that, you know, like always thinking like ways to, to do what others weren't doing at the time. So I was like, what trainer puts a newspaper, you know, article, you know, like, yeah. and what does, and so I did it. 
And sure enough, he found me and he called me. And like, what was the ad? Do you remember it? Like, what? It was like, do you need a personal is trainer? Is it a photo of you or? Yeah, like, something like it was like me shirtless and like, do you want a personal trainer? You know, something, something cheesy like that. What did that cost back then? It was like this? fifty bucks a month or something. Really? Yeah. So, yeah, you're like, I'm doing yeah. this. But I was like, this is golden. This is like, great. and it was kind of like like the back pages. You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. it probably looked a little suspect yeah, to yeah. be honest. And you're like, do you need a? And, yeah. Are you tired of the way you look? You, yeah. <laughs> something yeah. like that. But uh, so this guy calls me up and he's like. Uh, I need a personal trainer and I could tell he was going to be a very high maintenance guy. Like I could just tell right off the bat. And, but I, you know, I'd already dealt with that. So I was like, cool. So I started training him and on like the fourth session, I showed up a minute late, a minute late and he was gone and I'm blowing up his phone. No answer, no answer. We trained every day. So I knew I had a session the next day. So I showed up like 30 minutes early the next, by the way, never called me, never said anything, never nothing. I show up like 30 minutes early the next session. He comes in, doesn't say one word the entire session. I train him, whatever. And then at the very end of the session, he's like, don't ever be late again, like that. And to this day, I don't think I've you know, ever been late again to anything. You know what I mean? Like it was such a, an amazing moment, you know, like to be, just to learn from, from an older man that like, you know, took pride wow. in his session and like wasn't messing around. And, and so we developed a really close friendship, probably trained him for about three months. And then he just asked me, he's like, you know, what do you want to do? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, what do you, you need to do something, you know, bigger than this. What do you want to do? And I was like, well, I have this idea for my own t-shirt line. <laughs> and so I drew sketches and like presented my t-shirt you know idea for these ideas and it was it was it was a legacy t-shirt line okay. so it was going to be called legacy t-shirts so why did that word even matter to you back then or were you already used were you is that already your llc were you already like, no into that? no like, uh, so legacy for me originally has always been about dogs so i was really into pit bulls for a long time Where'd that begin? Like that's like a, had, had a pit bull in college. One of my best friends who's an emergency room orthopedic surgeon and speaks like nine languages and he's like a genius guy. He taught me all about pit bulls and like taught me why they're the most misunderstood dog in the world and like what their strengths were, what their weaknesses were, you know, why they're just like everything about them. And I just fell in love with pit bulls. Uh, he had a pit bull named Killian that we had to put to sleep at an early age and was like really sad for us. And then he had a pit bull named Artemis, who's the Greek goddess of hunt. Yeah. And she, he couldn't keep her because he was, he was uh, doing his, um, uh, what's when doctors have to do their residency. residency. So, you know, it's like for yeah. an orthopedic surgeon, they have no time whatsoever. So he was like, hey man, can you take care of my dog? Well, that turned into like three years. So I had his dog for three years and then of course he wanted the dog back. I was like, you're not getting the dog back. Yeah, yeah. And then we, we almost had a falling out because really? I wasn't going to give him his dog back. I'm like, bro, it's been three years. She's my dog. Like, come on. Like, you know. And so we started arguing or whatever, but I ended up keeping the dog. And what's crazy is my mom, my mom is hor was horrified of dogs. She was attacked by two German shepherds when she was pregnant with me, fell down the stairs. They attacked her. So she was horrified of dogs until I brought my pit bull home and she locked herself in the room for three days and then by the end of the, my trip home she was sleeping in the bed with my dog and that's really? the power of pit bulls like pit bulls 
they're, we call her like human face because like when you look in the eyes of a pit bull, it's almost like looking in the eyes of a human. It's crazy. And there's, I'm not trying to go too sidetracked, but yeah. there is a lot of negative connotation with pit bulls. Yeah, right? I mean, like they, they, people think they have like lockjaw and they're aggressive and, and you know, and that, that stems from the owners and for the, the history of them fighting pit bulls. But if you really think about it, pit bulls, if you fight pit bulls, well, the handlers are like separating them and everything. So if they were human aggressive, you wouldn't be able to fight them because they'd be attacking yeah, yeah. all the humans. So they're actually not Why human Why would they always train to fight? Because they're just great fighting dogs? Because they're, they're great best. fighting dogs. They're literally bred to fight because they are- And that are, began like hundreds? Yeah, they, about, like, yeah I mean, probably. I, mean, I, I would say, I mean, don't quote me on yeah, all this, but yeah, I'm, not a, I'm not a pit bull expert, but yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's been around for a long, long time. And so from your knowledge though, like with pit bulls, is there more attacks from pit bulls than any other type of dog and therefore- No, it's, it's actually the opposite. I think there's more people bit by chihuahuas than there are pit bulls, but seriously. Like, interesting. Yeah, if you really like look into it. So this friend gets you into pit bulls. Yeah. You start having, you have Artemis in college or that's after? Yeah, it was in college. Yeah. Okay. Which guys, if you want to pick up women, get you a puppy, a pit bull puppy. It works wonders. And so when so. you moved to Miami, you started your pit bulls with you? Or no? Like that yes. was cut, or mom so when I, no, when I moved to Miami, I, I brought both of my pit bulls. At that time, I had Artemis and Monita. So I had two pit bulls. And I brought them to Miami, which by the way, they were legal in Miami. And, and when you started <laughs> traveling, that you would get a my, friend my dad, to watch it? My okay. mom and dad took them. So yeah. you always had pit bulls from holding? Yeah. Legacy begins as a pit bull name? So or? no, Legacy was, uh, so you if you really think about dogs. the lineage of dogs, they're like, they breed them like horses. Yep. You know, like you have like the sire and the, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? You can, go, you can follow the bloodline. You can follow the bloodline. And to me, that represented Legacy. So Legacy was always a name that, I, and I also think it's a cool name. Like it's, I just thought a, it was, I think it's an amazing I just name. thought it was a cool name. So Legacy was supposed to be the, the name of the t-shirt line and it was pictures of different famous pit bulls with their character traits on them. So it was like loyalty, uh, commitment, um, like all these adaptability, like it was like keywords and then the picture of the pit bull. And that was, cool. yeah, I mean, I thought it was. Well, you should, you should so, actually bring that back. Yeah, no, I might, I might do that. It's um, kind of a cool concept. But it was funny because he, he like almost laughed at me and was like, bro, what are you doing? He's like, he's like, why don't you open up your own gym? And then, and then, you know, and then I'm sitting there going, that's actually not a bad idea, you know? Way better than this t-shirt idea, you know? So, if you ever see that movie, I think it's like The O.C. with Jack Black. He's like, I got these ideas, man. I got this for a shirt. It's like, loser. It's like, that's kind of what your moment, right? Like, I got these ideas, like yeah. shirts with pit bulls. Dude. Yeah, and then he's like, bro, what are you doing? Okay, you know? keep going. So then, what's crazy though is then, so he's like, I will fund it. We'll go 50-50. And, and so I come back to him, I'm like, all right, but it's gonna be 51-49, by the way, you know, it's not 50-50. And he's like, that's cool. So he fronts all the money. Then we, you know, we're looking for a place. And I'm literally- Is that a lot of money back then? I guess it's a lot of money or it's like, is it? Yeah, it was, it was like $300,000. Oh, wow. So, so he's one, coming up. He's like, he's, he's, he believes in you. He believes in me. Um, and by the way, like when I met him, he, did, he was not in shape. And now he's like walking around with his shirt off and he looks amazing. Okay. And like I helped change his life, you know? Yeah. And uh, I mean, there was the, the emails. I don't know him at all. And by the way, he died this uh, a year ago. So, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, that's. A whole nother situation but um i'll go back and i'll read the emails that he read to me and it's just 
Like I literally changed his life, and then vice versa. You know, he changed mine in a what lot of ways. What was his industry slash business? He worked for Lufthansa, um, yep. the airline. Airline, yeah. Yeah. Great. So, and he found you the newspaper ad. Yeah, exactly. And teaches you not to be late. Yeah. One day he's like, "Bro, what, what are you gonna do with your life? Yeah. I'm gonna make T-shirts. Why don't you just open a gym?" Yeah. Okay. Fifty-one forty-nine. Here's three hundred grand. Looking for places. What do you find? Yeah. So we hire like three different real estate people. You know, they can't find us any places. So I literally get on my bike and I'm like, I'm gonna find this location myself. And I spent like three hours riding around Edgewater and Wynwood on my bike. And I'll never forget, I'm on my bike and I'm going down this creepy ass street. There's crack houses on the right, there's crack houses on the left, there's hookers literally going, hey, you know, hey boy, you know, like this. I think I had a tank top on. There's homeless people at the end and there's this, there's this empty, gray warehouse with a sign that says for lease. I go back there and I sit on the train tracks and I am not kidding. I, it wasn't an audible voice, but it, it damn near could have been. It was literally like, this is it. This is it. This is it. And I was like, this is it. And so I hit him up and I'm like, I found it. He comes and he's like, Hell no. He's like, there's no way we're opening a gym here. Yeah. This is suspect, sketchy. No way. And I was like, no, nah, we are. And this is it. And he's like, all right. You know, because he did give yeah. me control yeah. of like everything. So we built it out. I opened it up. And uh, we opened November 2008. December 2009. So one, uh, 13 months later, the gym floods, like the entire gym floods. Like the whole thing, like two foot of water is in the whole gym. Ruined like half my equipment, the flooring stunk, whatever. I'm sitting there Christmas Eve, bawling, crying in a flooded gym. It was a bad year too. So you got to remember opening up a gym, a private training facility after a recession in the hood is not exactly a great business model. Sure. Yeah. So I had my clients like my high-end NFL guys and NBA guys and guys that drove like Rolls Royces, they would come to them block and be like, yeah, bro, we're not coming here. So it was really bad. And then, and then that Christmas, so I, I barely had clients. And then another thing too is I was trying to find trainers. So I, do you remember me, me, Jim, back mm. in Miami, back in the day? M-E? Yeah, they, they did a, a reality show on it. Okay. So it was when personal training private gyms were like a thing. Okay. Because they were doing like, reality shows on them and, and that's where I kind of like thought yeah, this, yeah. this concept would work. This and go, this could work. So I was like, the concept was me and four other trainers. So five trainers training all day long, splitting the revenue and, and boom, we're, we're off to the races, you know? Yeah. I went through 19 trainers in the first year. One of the reasons for it was, was because they didn't have my work ethic. Number two, I probably scared them all away because I probably yelled at everybody because of their lack of work ethic. So I didn't really do a very good job of, of uh, leadership at the time. Um, I was like, if you didn't show up here at 5 a.m. and stay till 11 p.m., you suck. Like, you know. Yeah. So it was it was not very good. Uh, and then and then uh, so the first year was a disaster. It was a disaster. Then it floods. So I'm sitting there like literally like bawling, crying, sitting on a plyo box, crying, water up to my knees. And I'm looking around and that lasted about 30 seconds to be honest. Like I probably cried for about 30 seconds. And I was like, get your ass up, like, yeah. what are you doing? So I got up, got, got buckets. I literally start cleaning the gym, 
strength. Then I start rearranging the gym. Then I get on there with money I didn't have, start ordering some new equipment. And then I start cold calling people. This was Christmas Eve. I'm cold calling people. Yo, bro, I got a deal. I got a special. You want to train with me? You know, best year of your life. You know, we're going to get, we're going to get you in shape. January, January, 2010. This is your year, man. This is your year. $5,000. Boom. Hey, man. Yo, man, it's Manny. What's up, bro? You ready to change your life? You ready to change? $10,000. Boom. But $38,000 in cold calls. Stop it. On Christmas Eve. Stop. Swear to God. Yeah. Just. Right, boom. Let's go. So then I'm like, I'm back in business. I'm like, I'm back in business. Let's go. So then start training people again. And you know, little success, but again, just not finding anyone to work with. And I was, at the time, my back was really, really bad. I was, you know, popping painkillers and really struggling. Um, was in a nasty relationship. Like it was, it was a bad time. I was working to death, like 14 hour days. And, um, and I just couldn't find me. Then uh, I ended up meeting um, Irving Rowland. So he was a skills coach and strength coach and a video analysis guy for Mario Chalmers. He also did it for the Boston Celtics. Mm. But I was living in the, and it's gonna sound like, like like I was really balling, but I really wasn't, I just got a deal. But I was living in the penthouse of the Quantum wow. across from Mario. It's because I got a crazy hookup through a client or whatever, but it was a badass apartment, but um, <laughs> it was really nice. Uh, 49th floor, you know, terrace, like yeah. the whole nine, you know. So a view of the city and the Let's ocean, go. it was awesome. Um, you had like a mattress on the floor in there? Yeah, something like that, yeah, exactly. Like Michael one, Jordan's one pizza poster, right? <laughs> like, what's right. up? Yeah. Nintendo game, yeah. yeah. Um, like two beanbag chairs. No, it wasn't that bad. But, but Urban uh, Outfitters, like, you know, yeah. paper lamp. But I met, um, I met Urban, and it was right before the NBA lockout. And he told me, I was like, what do you do? And he's like, I'm Mario Chalmers. And he actually said, I'm Mario Chalmers' personal trainer is how mm. he said it. Um, so then I invited him and Mario to my gym. I trained both of them. And after the session, I was like, yo, man, like, listen, you know, you're more a skills coach, right? You're like a basketball coach, right? And he's like, yeah. And I said, well, I'm more of a strength coach. I go, why don't we team up and we can, you know, you can handle the skills and I can handle the strength. And he was like, yeah, that's a great idea. And I was like, also, I'll help you lose weight, you know, whatever. And he was like, yeah. So we, uh, we kind of teamed up and it was right before the lockout. And then the next thing we know, I mean, long story short, we literally had the entire NBA training at Legacy. And then we were doing five on five games at the University of Miami. So we had the NBA Finals before the NBA Finals. It was literally the Miami Heat versus Oklahoma City Thunder at the University really? of Miami before the actual Finals that, that following year. And we were training everyone from Chris Paul to Kyrie Irving to Joe Johnson to the Pargo brother, like everybody. I mean, who's who of, of the NBA. Really? And that really helped, obviously, from a money standpoint, but also just to, like, really solidified that we were a legit company, a legit business. I was a legit trainer. Were you, know? you using social media at this point yet or didn't even exist yet? So Facebook was around, but even Instagram wasn't around. So we didn't even have Instagram. This was more like word of mouth. People what happened about was is I, I had such a good following in the NFL that it was almost easy to transition to the NBA because all my NFL guys had my back of like, hey, yeah, he's the real deal. Like, and my thing was, when I was training professional athletes, it wasn't that I was the smartest coach. It wasn't that I, you know, was a kinesiology kind of like wizard in biomechanics or anything like that. I knew how to take where you are 
and then take you to a place that you've never been before. Yeah. So I could take guys that thought they knew what being in shape was and they let them experience, no, nah, you're not in shape, bro. This is what shape looks like. And then by doing that, their game was all, like you're not gonna make an NBA player or a professional athlete better at what they do. But what you can do is you make them in the best shape of their life so that what they do becomes easy. Yeah. And that's what I did really, really well. And then that's how I kind of really got a name for myself with like training people like Sean Livingston after his injury. Yep. And he wrote me one of the most beautiful letters I've ever received when I opened the new HQ, just thanking me for like, just being honestly like the best way to say it is being hard as hell on them. Like, yeah. you know, I was a no nonsense guy back then. I did not let people slack at all, nobody. I didn't care if you were a nurse or you were Kevin Durant. Like you're not coming into my gym and you're not not gonna work. Yep. And I was, you know, I was like infamous from that. You know, I used to kick people out of my class and like it was, it was really? yeah, like literally. So what would you do? Like kick them out of the class. Because <laughs> they're not going hard. Yeah, like there was moments where we, we started getting so many people coming to our class. There was like 89 to 100 people coming to the class. And so like how I would start those classes, I'd have everybody bounce on the turf. So everybody would be bouncing on the turf. And there was a lot of guys and sometimes girls that were too cool to bounce, you know, too cool to fake like they were jumping rope. You know, they'd be like, you know, like this. And I'd be like, I'm sorry, what are you doing? I'm like, let's go, let's go, bounce, bounce. And they would kind of like give me attitude. I'm like, okay, you don't want to be here? Then get out. And then they'd be like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, seriously, get out. You remember like Seinfeld with the no soup for you yeah, guy? Yeah, totally. It was like that. You're like, no soup for you, get out. You know, like that. And it was kind of almost creating somewhat of a shtick slash character. Exactly. It but was like it. basically for me at the time, because there was no social media, it was like, bro, you got to go to Legacy Fit. This guy is a maniac. Like, he is crazy. And then, I'll be honest, it, sometimes it did feed the ego, and then you wanted to be even crazier, and, you know, I would pound, like, an energy drink right before class just to be, like, wah, you know, like, wild. <laughs> you know, like, I would do it on purpose, you know? So, so when you're doing all these, when, when does Pitt come up? Part of yeah. interval training, because that's a, that's a really big part of, in many ways, I think, what you brought to the fitness space, which is, major innovation that I think there's probably a lot of iterations of people maybe mimicking it or yeah. versions of it, but it's really an original concept for you and really so what Pitt, legacy gyms are about. Talk about that for a second, because that's, that's really interesting, I think. Yeah, Pit, which is partner interval training, which also I think ironically is the first part of Pitbull, which so it like all kind of goes. Um, what happened was is that I identified that, listen, my business model is not working. You know, me training and then finding four other trainers and us doing private training is not working. Yep. At the time, I started noticing the Barry's boot camps of the world, the and Orange Theories. And we say theories. not working, no, no room to grow, no scalability. No scalability. I, like, finally, I finally came to that place where I was like, I can't do, do I it. really want to train when I'm 40 years old, one person at a time, all day long for 14 hours? I go, no. I was like, I'm tired of these people, you know, like yeah. tired of dealing with people that much. Um, and not because, because I have a love hate relationship with that, you sure. know, like you love it, but it's also really draining. Yeah. You know, you want to be there for, I'm sure you, you feel that often, yeah. you know, like it's heavy, right? You know, people, personal training is a very life coach kind of like it's oh, more yeah. than that hour. They're texting you two hours later. They're texting you out. I was, I would get texts with people at the restaurant of their menu. Hey, what do you think I should order? You know? Like, are you kidding me right now? Like, you know, like, but, and they were dead serious. Like yeah. they really wanted Go me to pick out what they want. You know, it's like, I'm like, okay. Like, so 
it comes to a point where you're like, am I really gonna do this my whole life? And then what happened was also is that not very many people can afford personal training, and especially at that time. So I was trying to pivot and figure out what's more, what's more affordable, what, what would look like our version of a Barry's Orange Theory, these kind of places. And I was like, let me, let me start a class and utilize the principles that I use with athletes. Yeah. So my principles with athletes when I would train them or really with any client was a push movement, a pull movement, and then either a cardio movement or a core movement. And I would do the whole hour like that. And what it did was it shut them up first and foremost because most people just want to talk the whole session. So it made them, it forced them to keep moving and keep working. It created balance because a lot of times people are front loaded or they're very heavy. They do all pushing or they do all pulling. So whenever you do things this way and then do things this way, you're complementing the body in a, in a very symmetric way. So I did it that way. And then, uh, and then also, t like I said, time. It makes the time by, go by so much faster when you're like, Rich, we're gonna do a push up, a pull up, and then you're gonna run one minute on the treadmill. And we're gonna do that four times. And then you do that, and then we go on to the next series. And then we do that, and then we go on to the next series. Yeah. So that was my philosophy. It was like push, pull, cardio, push, pull, core. I had already had that philosophy. But I, then I was like, well, how do I implement, implement that into a class? where I can train more than one person at a time. So I started a class at 5.30 p.m. on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And that's where it got way out of hand. It was like 128 people showing up, you know, 80 people showing up, 70 people showing up. So at that time, I felt like I didn't have enough accountability. I was like, I almost felt like it was a little chaotic. So I was like, all right, this is not working. You're gonna manage everyone. Yeah, and I was like, I can't manage this many people being one person. So I started pairing people up. And when I did that, you would turn 80 people essentially into 40 people. And then I started noticing people helping people. I was like, oh my, I would just kind of watch. And it was like, Rich is helping Manning lift the weight. Like he's spotting him, he's counting his reps, he's, he's motivating him. And I was watching people coach their partner. And I was like, there's something to this. And it just kind of like, then the you know, creative juices go, uh, started flowing. And then obviously I was still doing personal training at the time. And I double booked. And so I used to double book a lot on purpose sometimes. But so I had Marion Barber, uh, Barber, God rest his soul too, he recently passed. Um, he, was one, he was a famous uh, Dallas Cowboys running back. Yeah. Just a stud, like and a, an amazing man too. Um, just humble, nice, sweetheart of a guy. 6'2", 240, you know, jacked. And I, I had him at, at, at a certain time and I double booked and I had a really overweight woman that I was supposed to train at the same time. And they showed up together. And so what, when I used to double book, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let them know. I wouldn't say anything. I would just like act like it was supposed to happen. That way I could get paid twice, you know, and it was, sure, like, yeah. it was like a gift and I used to do it all the time. But how would you train, you would just have them together? Yeah, so, um, okay, yeah. yeah, so, Sorry. no, no, you're fine. No, it's, and that's what I did. But so, in this case, you've got a professional world-class exactly. athlete. You got somebody who's. Right, so it, it was a little nerve wracking because like you just said, I have a professional athlete and an overweight woman. And what I did was I put him through the exact same workout. And you know, she did a movement, then he did a movement. He, he did a movement, she did a movement. She did a movement, he did a movement, through the whole workout. And when they were done, they were high-fiving each other, they were laughing, they were hugging, and I literally, light bulb went off and I was like, this is pit. 
I was like, this is partner training. And I go, anyone can do this from an overweight woman to a professional athlete. And I was like, I have to do this. I have to like figure this out. And so then I went to the drawing board and that's where you, you know, you're like, okay, this is station one. This is station two. This is the equipment I'm going to use. This is what I'm going to do. And it just kind of like, and of course it was six years of, all right, this equipment doesn't work. This doesn't work. Yeah. Get rid of this. You know, I used to have a, a rope that went all the way to the ceiling. And I'll never forget, uh, one woman climbed all the way to the top, she rang the bell, and then she let go. And then you're watching someone fall all the way down. And you're like, I mean, your heart just, you know, stops. You're like, no! And then she bounced up, it's like, yay, I climbed the rope! And she was perfectly fine, but it scared the ever-living yeah, crap out of me. What are you doing? So I took that rope down, like, the next day. Then we had, like, sledgehammers and tires in the boot camp. And then you would literally, one day, you'd watch a sledgehammer, like, go like this Crazy. right yeah. over someone's nose, you know, just about to knock someone out and kill them. And you're like, okay, we're not doing that. And then you would have another piece of equipment that you would break all the time. And you're like, all right, that's doesn't work. So it took about six years of, and I gotta, I gotta circle back a little bit because I don't wanna act like, like you know, it was just, just me. Like in the beginning, Remember I told you I went through 19 trainers. Yeah, yeah. So there was like a moment in time, and I have to tell this story because I think, I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, just substance to it that people can really take and, and know that opportunity is what you make of it. And I say that to say I had this guy. I had just fired his friend for catching him doing drugs in the gym. And he came, came to me. He was about 278 pounds, like just fat and just had a baby, just got a divorce, and he's like, hey, I, need a, I want a job. I know you just fired my friend, can I get a job? And I literally honestly looked at him, I was like, what are you gonna do? Like, you know, what are you gonna do? And he's like, I'll do anything, I'll do anything. And I said, well, the first thing you gotta do is you gotta lose this weight. And I said, but you can clean the gym. And I was like, and I don't even have any money, like, so I can't even pay you. I said, I might be able to pay you in like three months, but that's about it. So that's the famous Sergeant Joe, uh, Joe. Mm. And Joe came in, and did everything I asked of him and then some, uh, just sacrificed time, energy, and effort in cleaning the gym, making it spotless, and then, one, and then losing 70-something pounds, wow. getting a six-pack and, and like wow. doing everything I asked him to do. And then he was obviously assisting me in some of the classes, and then one day he was like, hey, can I do a class? And I was like, yeah, let's, let's get you certified and let's do it. And then we came up with a pay structure and gave him a salary and all that. And then he started his 6 a.m. class. So I was doing the evening and he was doing the mornings. And you know, it started out with like six people and then that six people turned into 10 people and then 10 people turned into 20 people. And the next thing you know, Joe had 50, 60 people coming. So it was like Tuesdays and Thursdays, Joe had like 50 people coming. I had like 100 people coming. So we started to really build something. And he was the first person out of like 19 people that actually worked hard, showed up on time, stayed late, was committed to the brand, you know, like, yeah. and really helped me build it, you know, in the beginning and, uh, and to this day. And now, now he's uh, operating our Kindle location. It's amazing. So, um, so that was really cool. And uh, yeah. When, so. on, when on that storyline, did you actually come up with that acronym PIT? And even little things that are fun, it's like, it's like yeah. what is this? Yeah. Pit, what is, what so does I PIT do, stand for? Like, yeah. So I do a lot of, a lot of reading, like a lot. Yeah. And sometimes it's funny, you know, you do a lot of reading and, you, and you'll read a book and you won't get anything out of it. You'll be like, eh, you know, that was, okay. But then sometimes like certain books just like give you gems, you know? And 
I really was obsessed with Nike at the time. Yeah. And so I read Shoe Dog. Yep. And yep. I really analyzed just the, the building of the brand, like how like he had Nike, the swoosh, and then just do it, you know? And so for me, it was like legacy, the pit bull, no days off. And no days off came from, I was training Rico Love at the time. He was a famous mu music producer. And we had just got, got uh, back from um, traveling with Usher and like, you know, uh, I was training them and we were hanging out and then we were like, man, we were in, in the gym, it's like 2009 and we were like, man, we don't ever take a day off like that. And then I was like, man, no days off, no days off. And then he was like, man, no days off. And then we literally were like, no days off. And we just kept like going, no days off, no days off. It just sounded cool. And, and that's when I literally you know, was like, all right, this is, this is our motto from here on out. Like yeah. we're not taking, and what's interesting, I got a lot of pushback from it, a lot. Like people were like, you know, you need a rest day. Like, what are you talking about? You can't take no days off. And I was like, listen, it's not about working out. It's about life. I was yeah. like, you can't take a day off on you, can you? Like, you can't just wake up one day and say, I'm not gonna do anything. Yeah. Like, no, you have to never take a day off on yourself. And I go, that's what it means to me. And that's what it means for this company. It's taken years for people to have to buy into that, but now I think they finally get it, uh, that it's more yeah. than working out. And, um, and then, yeah, just learning stuff in books and, and learning uh, that the importance of, so there's some, there's some scientific data on when you, when you have big groups, and I know you do this in preaching too, by the way. So, you know, when you're like, you know, everybody say amen, you know, like yeah. when you, so when you say something that everyone has to say in, in together. Yeah, in unison. In unison, then it's creating a bond. And it's creating, that's why the military does it. That's why college football teams do it. That's why teams do it. So when I was like, you know, came up with PIT, an acronym, which by the way, was kind of easy because I was already saying partner interval training, and then someone, a member, was like, you know that's Pit. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. And he's like, Pitbull, Pit. And I was like, thank you. I was like, thank you, I'm taking that. And I, to this day, I don't know who it, whoever it is, thank you, you know, wow. I, I can't remember who did that, but it was one of my members, was literally like, you know that's Pit. And I was like, and it's so funny, because imagine, I've been using it, I've been saying partner interval training for like, probably a good three or four months mm -hmm. before someone said, you know, that's pit. And so when he said that, I was like, oh, what is this pit? And then I was like, what does pit stand for? Partner interval training. And then through those books I read of, of saying why you do something and getting people to repeat it and the impact it has and how it builds a bond of community and, yeah. and like, you know, people think they're in it together. So it was just something that, to me, it just stuck with me, and, and we've, and I think, I think, honestly, I really do. It gives me, it's so cool to be at one of my locations on, say, an 8.30 in the morning on a Saturday, and knowing that what is this pit, what does pit stand for, is actually happening at six other locations. Like, you know, five other, like, we're all doing it together. Yep. And there's, a, there's something powerful about that that I Absolutely. love. Absolutely. You know? It's, it's, it's the uh, fabric of community, and... It's amazing how it's in community that we often can make the most, or maybe the most beneficial changes. You can also make negative changes, by the way. Yeah. But I, I just think it's like, some people can say they, I think everyone believes in the idea of working out, right? Or believes in a healthy lifestyle, but not everyone lives it out. Yeah. Sometimes, until I get a trainer, it, that's called community. And there's that beautiful combustion of, of partnership, of right. collaboration, where all of a sudden now you can hold me accountable and. I can become something more based upon my relationship with you. 
I, one of the things I think that's really sticking out to me, I think just something interesting to talk about, I'd love to get your ideas or your thoughts on it. Like, we live in a world right now where I think people are always searching for like, why on earth am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, I'll use kind of a church word, but maybe it's a word that I think most people would kind of, what's my calling? You right, know, like, right. And I think a lot of us, we think we have to go find that. What's really fascinating about your story is that you didn't find anything. It just kind of keeps finding you. If we just go through this series of events, hey, bro, I think you get this stunt job in Miami. Like you're in Miami 20 years later because of a Michael Bay idea of doing Bad Boys Part 2. Yeah. Like you're not even an actor. To you want to do a t-shirt, maybe. And a guy's like, let's do a gym. To you pit with some member going, it's pit, bro. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of funny where like it keeps coming and finding you. What would you, how would you weigh in about something like that? What, what, what is that for you? That's, that's an attitude, that's a mindset, that's God ordering steps. Like what, what, what language would you land on? Because I think there's something encouraging about that. Like everyone's like, look within. I, I don't know if it's always, I think sometimes, yeah. it's, sometimes it's, I keep talking about something external comes and finds us many times. Like it's action, right? Let's talk about that. Like I think, I know for a fact I have favor on my life. I mean, I can honestly say I have favor, but I think it's, it's through action. And I think most people wait for something to happen to them mm. instead of moving towards something. Good. And sometimes you just gotta get off up the couch and go try. You know, yeah. it's like, even if you fall flat on your face, and the truth is, if you really think about why I moved to Miami, I failed. I moved to Miami as what, a stunt double, body double? And then by the way, I got into modeling and thought, I thought I was gonna be an actor and a model, you know? I literally did. I thought I was gonna be, you know, like some kind of yeah. famous guy or whatever. I mean, I tried out every reality show. I did that whole scene. You know, went to the Dolce Cabana castings. I did all that and I failed miserably, but I didn't. You know what I mean? Right. It just wasn't what I was meant to do. It wasn't my path, but I think that by by the willingness to take action, by the willingness to say, yeah, I'll shave my head, I'll send you a picture. The hair will grow back, well, you know, now it's not, but yeah. the hair would have grown back, you know? Sure. And, and I think by just, I think a lot of times people, again, it just goes back to people are waiting on something to happen to them instead of making something happen. And- It's very good. And for me, if you don't put yourself out there, then you don't know what opportunity you're going to miss out on. It's like, show up, show up. It's almost like fitness too. Like I tell everybody, you know, that oh, man, I just don't know if I can do it. Of course you don't know because you're not showing up. Just show up and see what happens. Like be consistent in your action. Very good. You know? I think the idea of being proactive versus reactive as well, right? Like, yeah. I think people forget that indecision is a decision. And so, uh, you, you don't decide, and so you kind of always live a little bit divided. And it seems like a lot of your life has been taking action, not necessarily knowing if, if it's the right door or the left door, but at least taking a chance to open a door. Yeah. And as you open a door, you actually step closer towards. DC, DC did a great sermon on it, it might have been you, but it, the, the, where, how perf the, the, the seeking perfection causes you actually just to be paralyzed. Yeah. Like you actually don't do anything. Yep. Is because you're, you, you want it to be perfect. And I think 
Instagram and this world that we live in now has made everything seem so perfect yeah. that people don't do things because they don't want to mess up or they don't want to appear to have flaws. And it's like, that's, there's so much beauty in mistakes, yeah. right? Like, that's what I love about my journey is that I've failed miserably at tons of different yeah, things. Yeah. But because, I will say this, when you fail, are you learning and then knowing how to Absolutely. apply it? So I'm not saying just to go fail at everything you try, but fail, learn from that, and then apply it to the next, to the next thing. Learn how to I'd, fail forward. Fail forward, it's yeah. It's like I've always said, it's like make a million mistakes. Don't just keep, but don't make the same mistakes. Don't make the same mistakes, like, like exactly. Learn from the mistakes. Let that become a foundation of growth. It's, it's, it's really great to talk about because if you walk in today to you know, your latest location in Wynwood, which I think is the current headquarters, it's a work of art. I mean, it's, I've never seen a gym like it. It's beautiful. But the lie would be to walk in there and think it's perfect. Exactly. Because it's actually this beautiful, broken, fragmented mosaic road of a lot of pieces that come out to create this place today. I think in many ways, the environment of it is perfect, but it got there from a lot of failing and a whole lot of stories. I think that's what's really inspiring. Talk a little bit about you start pit, you're launching locations, you've actually got a scalable model here that is comes from your brain and comes from your ethos and your value system, but now um, I can take pit model and I could in Coconut Grove where I live, if you I can almost franchise and take out what you're doing. That's happening yeah. now. Locations are opening, but this beautiful gym that you have, talking about just getting there and like what that means to you. Yeah, so we now have <clears throat> six locations. Uh, we stopped, we stopped franchise, I stopped franchising in 2017. Um, it just, I, I opened up um, my first franchise in South Carolina. It was, it did, you know, okay for five years and then COVID wiped it out. And then I did a franchise in Dubai, which actually crushed it. Um, we had like 800 something members the first like month, uh, but it was some crooks and they ended up like scheming me and keeping my money and stuff like that. So I had to fly to Dubai and like Jeez. take all my logos down. And so I just, it just gave me a kind of a bad taste, taste in my mouth for franchising. Yeah. So our only franchise right now is in Doral. Uh, shout out to Denise and Swan, they're amazing. And uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something that we'll figure out how we're gonna grow um, yeah. with them and through this process of going corporately. So we are going to move forward corporately now. And the flagship location, the HQ that's in Wynwood is the business model moving forward. And that's what we're gonna take to Nashville to Austin, to Atlanta, to Scottsdale, to Denver, to Dallas, some of these other targeted yeah. location, uh, uh, areas and to kind of prove ourselves outside of the Miami market. And then we're also looking to do probably like three or four more here in the Miami market. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, um, I mean, again, I can talk for days about that. But what's been it, sort of like, what's been your biggest surprise after building that out? Like what's kind of been like, oh wow. Building out HQ? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, so to let you know like how all that happened, uh, I'll take it back a little bit. The, uh, I mean, and I hate bringing up the pandemic, you know, cause I don't think any of us want to go back there, but sure. it, it definitely was 
was something that I think solidified the brand, to be honest. Like it was like the strength of our community and the strength of what we built that it was able to last and to actually grow during one of the toughest times that our whole world faced was kind of like a, a stamp on, hey, you're doing this the right way. You know, mm. we had people support us all over the world mm. at that time. We were doing IG live workouts and there's people, you know, tuning in from the Netherlands and Switzerland and stuff like that. So it was, you know, people that visited our location and the fact that we were still waking up, all my locations were still waking up yeah. and still doing classes online for, for people all over the world. And we, when, we, when they closed us down March 2020, we, they closed us down with three open locations. And when they opened us back up, we actually opened with six locations. So that time for us was, was scary and crazy or whatever, but, but we came out on top. Another thing too is during that time, I knew that I had to make a, make a move. Like it was, it was, everyone was freaking out. The world was going crazy. And I was like, you know what? I got to do something that nobody thinks I'm going to do. So I would have this path where I was walking my dog around Wynwood and I kept walking by the Strata building. And this is before it was ever built. It was like, you know, just a frame. And again, not an audible voice, but very close was like, this is my new gym. This is my new, yeah. this is where I need to go. This is where I need to go. So I called the number on the thing. I had my realtor uh, hit them up and they took, took a meeting. We, we came in, we saw the space and we sent them an LOI. They were like, we're not interested. And they ghosted me for like three months. And then after three months, they called us back and they were like, we're interested now. We did some research and we actually realized who y'all are now and we wanna, we wanna play ball. So then we went back to the drawing board and, and actually got a deal done. Um, in the middle of the pandemic, I signed a new lease um, with this new space and then we're on the clock. Like we had to be out of the warehouse at a certain this. time to get into this, this new space and, it, and uh, you know, everything went wrong that can go wrong in a build out. I mean, you know, I mean, I could just go down the list yeah, yeah. and that's construction. Construction, you have to take a deep breath and realize that problems are going to happen and things are going to happen. So. Uh, we was the primary thing in there that was being built was that mezzanine? Yes, that mezzanine was a disaster. Had you not done that, it would have been Super much easy. easier. Yeah. Like, yeah. But that is, in many ways, all that pain and all that heartache to do that is what kind of creates this architectural. Yeah, like, it was so needed. Out, right. It was so needed. It, it was it, like I, I think it makes the space. Yeah. I think it. It was something that. I have, I literally, literally dreamed of, I Pinterest boarded, I saw it, yeah. you know, it was like when I walked into the empty space, I saw that yeah. container ship there. I saw the bay doors coming down. Like I, I saw it before we did it. And um, so, yeah. And when you're getting like in that whole time crunch, you're spending money, you're, you've raised money, you're borrowing money. What does that feel like when things are not going according to plan? Yeah, what do you, what do, you do with a, all that stress? How do you how do you handle all that? Yeah, pressure? you you know you um so I was able to uh, raise money um, at the time. Uh, I brought in three new uh, equity owners, and um, tremendously they helped us tremendously. You know, get the build out done, and also at the time I lost like probably nine trainers that had been with me for a while. I lost. Um, 
a, one main guy that had been with me for a while. And so it was, it was a very stressful time. Uh, it, it's, I, I can tell you, I know that it was stressful on my wife. It was, we, we had a, a one-year-old and, you know, I, I probably was so focused on getting this gym open that, you know, I wasn't exactly the best, you know, during that, that time. Um, but I think to go back to kind of what we talked about earlier, for me, the only way to kind of combat stress is just to not stop. Like, no matter the hurdle, no matter the obstacle, you know, like one day I walked into the mezzanine was literally built in the wrong spot. I mean, imagine that, like literally in the wrong spot. Like how, how does that even happen? And you know, the staircase is like hitting you in the forehead. Like it's like, what is going on? So things like that would happen. Failing ADA compliance, you know, because they built it two inches too small, you know, and, and like stupid stuff like that, that you would think would not happen, but they do happen. And it happens all the time. You got to rip out the entire bathroom and start over, do it all over again because you failed an inspection, um, all these things. Um, but I, I learned, I think, and more than anything because of that time during the pandemic that you never ever panic. You only pivot and you only solve problems. That's it. You don't cry about it. You don't worry about it. You don't lose sleep over it. You just solve it right then and there. And my architect and GC were actually phenomenal at doing that with me. They, he has a very calm demeanor and, and he was able to combat my more aggressive demeanor. And so us together solving problems became a very, not easy thing, but yeah. more manageable thing. And so I learned a lot and I actually definitely going to use him for future projects because it was the first time that it wasn't a combative working experience. It was more of a, a complimentary collaborative yeah. effort. What do you think you're learning in leadership at this point in terms of you're in your forties, you've got a very, very successful business. Your nature is intense. Your nature right. is uh, get things done. You, you don't take no for an answer for yourself. I, do you think your self-awareness has grown? Like you're an intimidating human being. We kind of make those jokes. But how, how are you learning self-awareness and going, hey, that method is not going to cut. I can't just yeah. use my, my, you know what I mean, my, 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 my force always. Always, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think. Talk about that in your own like, leadership journey a little bit. The, the key word or words that you, self-awareness is everything. Like, if you don't know your own bullshit, if you can't identify yeah. when you're acting like a maniac or when you say the wrong thing or when you do the wrong thing, if you can't identify it right then and there, then you're gonna have problems in your life. Like, yeah. you're gonna, so we all need to have more self-awareness, I think. Um, I still need to have more self-awareness, but I really did start to notice how when I was like really aggressive, that it wasn't working like you know it it, it makes people feel some type of way yeah. like it you know and again there are certain individuals that do respond well to that sure and i think that's where you get into a bad habit of doing it all the time because do you think you respond well to that no not at all which oh, is don't. funny to me because like it's kind of ironic right that yeah. i do it to other people but i don't like it to be done to me you know yeah. so um, but no, I'm, I've never, like, for example, I get irritated when people motivate me when I work out. 
So like when people really? are like counting my reps and going, go Manning, go Manning, I, I internally, I'm like, shut up. I don't need your help. I don't need you telling me what to do. I got this, like stop. You know, that's me internally. Like I don't need to be motivated at all, yeah. like ever. Um, I'm very self-motivated, self-driven, yeah. and I certainly don't need a pep talk and like people yeah. like that. Like I need heart talks, soul talks, you know, that's why like our talks are amazing because you're talking to me, it has nothing to do with like fitness or sure. commitment or determination and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. But like, I mean, you tell me to run through a wall, I, I've got it, like I'll, I, I got you. Yeah. Um, or you tell me to commit to anything, I'm gonna do it. Or if, you, if, or if I say I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna do it. Like there's very few times that I say I'm gonna do something and I don't do it. Uh, but to go back to that self-awareness, you just start, you have more employees, right? Yeah. You have, you're hiring more people, you're dealing with more people and, and you're learning, okay, this person responds better if I talk like this. This person responds better if I yell at them. This person needs an email. This one needs to talk through text. This one needs an in-person meeting to be able to move the yeah. needle, you know? Like, so yes, there was a lot of, and then also too, like losing people that you're close to and then saying why. Why did I lose this person? Yeah. And then you gotta say, you gotta take extreme ownership of that. You cannot blame other people for lost relationships, lost moments, uh, mishaps. You have to take extreme ownership in mistakes and in things that don't work out. It's your fault. It's not anybody else's fault. It's your fault. And if you take that, then you can figure out how to do it better the next time. Yeah. So, and it might not be your fault, but it doesn't matter because you're the, I'm, I'm in charge, right? It's still your problem. It's still your problem. Like, and also if you're at the top, it is your fault. Like it doesn't matter if it's not your fault, it is your fault. Yeah. And so your employees are your fault. Like if they screw up, they're screwing up because you're not leading them correctly. So you gotta say, okay, what am I doing wrong? Why did they do that? Why did they operate like this? Why didn't they do their job correctly? It's because I'm obviously not leading them correctly. And so I started, you know, again, reading a lot more, yeah. just diving in a lot more and having these kind of like self-awareness conversations with myself of like, how can I do better at leading people? Because yeah. ultimately, when you get to the position that I'm in now, that's all it is now. It's, it's leadership, yep. it's managing people. You know, of course it's contracts and negotiations and stuff like that, but even that is, is people, it's all dealing is. with people. So it's, it's a people business, really anything we do. And so it's just, uh, you know, I don't even know if I answered your question, but. No, you totally did. I think anything, <laughs> anything at the level that you're making the impact that you're in, before you know it, you begin to develop reputation, you begin to develop, people begin to perceive you a certain way, and sometimes that's really good, sometimes that's bad. I'll tell you what I deal with a lot, <clears throat> that, and maybe you can, you know, this will be like a, a therapy session right now. Yeah, yeah, right. Is, uh, it's like, let me, let me lay down and, yeah, yeah. and talk to you, but uh, I still have a very hard time when people speak to the old me, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, when you're speaking to the old me, I can't, like, 
deal with you anymore. You know, it's like, you're, you're not, I can't hear you. And it's like, but I understand because that's the person that they know. Mm. And it's like, so I, I get where they're coming from, but I'm like, if you don't change and you don't treat me to who I've become, not who I was, then we can't grow together. You know, like at some point you got to forgive me for the way that I was in order to get to know the new, the new me. And I'm still, and then I like to think that I'm still not even the person that I was yesterday. Like, I feel like we literally evolving every single day because there could be a conversation that can completely change the way you think and the way you say things, the way you do things. But I think we're so guilty of treating people how we know them. Yep. And, and I say that to say like, if you worked with me for five years side by side, but then you, don't, you haven't worked for me for another five years, bro, it's been five years. Like, that's a long time. Sure. Like, you don't even know who I am anymore, you know? And I could even say that as far as six months, you know? Absolutely, so, yeah. It's like, but I don't even know what that came from, but. No, uh, I think it's a really good thing because I think when you're in leadership, I think people, what I was gonna say is people that, that create the impact that you're creating, what can end up happening is that people from the outside or even from the inside, people that are working for you, people working around you, people that see you on Instagram, people that know you from a brand, they're getting aspects, shades, perspectives, glimpses of you, and then they begin to create in their own mind who you are. But right. you're so much more than even a brand or a thing. And Muscles, like th- There can become one. a caricature, you know what I'm <laughs> yeah. saying? And maybe the caricature of Manny Sumner could be, oh, he's a machine. Yeah. Uh, Meathead. No Meat yeah. I love no, that one. no days <laughs> off. He doesn't feel. He's stronger than anyone we know. And before you know it, it's like they might be missing out on some of the best parts about you, which I think one of the best parts about you is that you can't create what you've created without caring right. and loving. And so behind all this stuff is a whole lot of depth of someone's soul being put into their work. And the reason why HQ looks the way it looks is because you care about every detail, because excellence is in your blood, because you love it. You're not doing it to like, yeah, you want to make a profit, but that's not your goal. Yeah, your goal like, is to make an impact. And so I say I like to say that at times people can never get to know the real you and the, right. and the heart behind who you are. And I, I think a hard part of leadership is the most painful thing always is the people that you care about that walk away, that betray you, that let you down. And you're not a victim. I'm not trying no, to suggest at that. No. At times we might even be the villain, but that can be hard to keep going when it feels like all around you are opinions, criticisms, right. thoughts, and you're going, man, I'm actually trying to do this for the whole good. What, what would you say in, in your journey a little bit have been things to kind of keep you motivated and when I use the word motivated, not that you're going to get up and go to work, but like that you're going to do so with the right attitude, the right intention. Yeah. Um, Does that make sense? Like, no. Because I, I, I think you will run through the wall, but the question is, are yeah. you running through the wall? I think Simon Sinek says, I like the way he says it. He's like, find a cause greater than yourself and then just go 100% all in on it. And for me, I've truly identified my pay it forward moment. Like, and I don't know if you've seen uh, Pay It Forward, that movie. Sure, years ago. But it's like, that movie I remember just like, 
it resonated with me so much. I remember watching that movie and going, I can have that kind of impact on the world. I know I can. Um, I've seen myself talking to hundreds of thousands of people. I've seen it. I it hasn't happened yet, but I've seen it. And so I'm like, the no days off motto mentality of never taking a day off on yourself, becoming the best version of you that you can be each and every day, this whole concept of becoming. I mean, you've preached about it. That's why I think there's so much synergy in, in, in just the way you, you deliver a message. Obviously, Jesus is the, the message, but like just this, this thought that we're not, we're not just who we are, like we're who we're becoming. Yeah. And it never stops, like it should never ever stop. So for me, I know for a fact that that's my cause. It's greater than a gym, it's greater than a product, it's greater than a service, it's bigger than me, it is about carrying this message to as many people as I possibly can that hey, you are not what people say you are, you are what you are trying to become. Yeah. And, and just like getting that out there through, through the gyms, through the apparel, now through the beverages, like, but it's something that I have to remind myself that that is what I'm doing this for. I'm not doing it for money, I'm not doing it for my own ego, I'm not doing it because it feels good all the time, because sometimes it sucks, is that there's a cause that's greater than myself, there's people that rely on me, across the board, more than employees, more than anything, there's people that have, I mean, I've seen marriages, I've seen babies, I've seen lives changed just by this philosophy, and I wanna keep that going as long as possible, and that's, to me, that's what legacy's about. It's like, when I'm gone, I wanna be known that I made a difference, somehow, mm -hmm. some way. And so, for me, if that didn't get you up in the morning, then what, what will, yeah, you know, and now, having a family, a wife, and a son, and when you wake up and you know that your efforts are gonna be left and seen by this little version of yourself, I mean, I don't even see how parents are not, you know, just flying out of bed uh, for these little creatures that worship you, you know? And it's like, we have to set the tone for, for what we want them to become, totally. right? And they're, they're soaking everything up in, the way we speak, the things we do, you know, how we carry ourselves, our routines, all this stuff, they're, they're taking notes right now at an early age, they're taking notes. I was, uh, had the uh, opportunity to raise a one-year-old to four-year-old. Um, it was that crazy relationship, but, um, yeah. but she DM'd me, like, I think she was like 11 or 12 years old or something, so it had been like seven years, that, that she was so grateful for that time. Wow. And you're talking about a one-year-old, a four-year-old. I didn't even know they remember stuff like she that. She remembered it. You know? And it really resonated with me because it, it reminded me that they're paying attention, you know? They're, they're like, my son is learning right now. Absolutely. You know? And so that is huge for me. Um, that definitely gets me up in the morning. That definitely motivates me, uh, keeps me going. But, and then also too, just not letting down others that are, are like looking up for, for, for you to lead them. You know, yeah. like I know for a fact I've got people in my life that, that want to be led and I don't want to let them down. I don't want to let them down to, to uh, not becoming my best self because right. part of our thought process, part of our philosophy is that you can't pour from an empty cup.
Very good. So it's like, I'm a big believer in you have to become the best version of you because if you don't, then there's no way you're going to help those around you. Absolutely. And I think that's why I do what I do. Because I know that if I keep filling my cup up, then I have stuff to pour out to other people. And I think that's the best philosophy is that right there, especially if you even use the analogy of the cup, because I would take it a step further and say, I can't fill your cup, but I can empty mine. Yeah. And all that means is that I don't get to control anything about you. I just have to keep pointing the finger back at me. And this idea of becoming is a great topic because sometimes the pain that we feel as leaders is like, that might be true what you're saying, but I have grown. I think in order for us to reap that benefit of the doubt from them, we have to be the type of leaders that are giving them the same benefit of the doubt, that they too can grow. Right. That maybe yesterday they behaved this way, but I can believe that today they can become. Oh, wow. Say. That you just nailed it on the head there. So that whole self-awareness thing, I think, bless you. I'm going to go one more time. That's why. They say that's, sneezing, right? Like, I think your heart almost stops. So it's oh like, my God. That's, that's, that's intense. That's the closest I've ever been to death right there, man. <laughs> it's like the toughest thing you've been to. Yeah, there you go. The big sneeze. Uh, now, what you just said is actually something that I'm, I'm not good at, but I'm learning is uh, letting people make mistakes. Yeah, yeah. You know? And it's well, almost it's a comical, right? Reaping. I, I, like, I, you want to reap, like, yo, yeah. I'm not saying I got it all together, but five years ago, quit, quit, quit treating me like the five-year-old version of me. Right. I think for us in order to reap that at times, we have to not treat someone like the yesterday version of themselves. Exactly. Like we have to, to keep speaking to their potential of it. I would also then go on to say, I like this analogy that you were talking about earlier about as leaders, because if you're going to get the authority, the authority comes with a word called responsibility. So everything I'm responsible for, but I'm going to be self-damaging and self-destructive if I literally blame myself in a negative way. And let's use biblical for a moment. It's like yeah. Jesus, did Jesus cause Judas to betray him? No, but he had to deal with the consequences of it. You know right, what I mean? Like, right. And so there are things that happen that we didn't cause that we can't blame ourselves for, but we still will reap the consequence for. Yeah. And maybe that's a better way for me to think about it, just because if I'm not careful, I can go home blaming myself for people that were completely in the wrong. Right. I have to deal with the consequence of it. You hurt me, you might have hurt this aspect of it, but I'm not the cause of it. I have to deal with the, con maybe that's it right there. Maybe that's the language. Not the cause of it, but I have to deal with the consequence of it. Yeah. It's like, because if you're not careful, it's like, is Jesus responsible for Judas' right. behavior? No, not at all. I think that's, that can become very self-loathing and very self-destructive in the process that if every dude that you sewed into left you and started a gym down the street, if, if you're to blame for that. Yeah, that, and I certainly don't think like that. Yeah, yeah you know what I mean? Like, I, I think no, no. It's, like, it's like, but I think no, you can but you look at the those, consequence of that. You have to be yeah, like, but you, Crap, you, you definitely have to face the consequences of it. Yeah. And then you also have to at least. Why did that happen? Exactly. And, analyze and what parts analyze the situation what kind of yeah, and yeah. say, is there anything that I could have done differently? And Absolutely. All I'm saying is, is when you do that, it doesn't mean it's going to change anything. But it means that you can take something positive from it yep. and apply it to the next person. And, learn from, yeah. and one thing that I'll say is like, in this business is a constant coaching to people's potential and pouring into people because yep. you're getting a lot of like 
21, 23, 24-year-olds that you, you, know, you give them a platform, you give them an opportunity, they're getting a lot of attention, yeah. their egos are, you know, it, it happens to the best of us. And you have to, to just keep accepting that they're gonna make mistakes. It keep, it, it, but what I'm saying is, is like, even if they quit, you can't take that and then not apply of it to the next not. person. Like, you gotta keep doing it. Like, you, you have it to never keep stops. giving all that you have and resourcing. My favorite, oh, well, what, what's gonna happen, Rich, man, if I, if I train all these guys and give them all my secrets and they leave? That's one way. Yeah. The scarier thing is, what if you don't give them all your secrets and you don't train them and they stay with you exactly. for the next 10 right. years? It's like, so is it a gamble? I don't know. I don't think your response, no. You're sowing into people. You're, 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 you're supposed to people. It. You're supposed to do it. You're required to do it. And you um, have a 20 year journey here going that continues. It's not that it's always this. Right. Sometimes it's this, but it, does it, you know, I think, I think people think that life is supposed to always just be a continuum. I don't think it is. I think it's much more like a heart rate or something. Yeah, exactly. I've, I can see pockets where it's like, dude, I am down. It's like but a it's roller not coaster down. ride. Yeah, it's a little bit of a roller coaster. But over time, the further you get back from that, it is an incline. It is growing. It's progress. Right. Not perfect, but progress. Progress over perfection. And we're sitting here right now drinking your water. So thanks, bad boys, too. Thank you, Michael Bay, for chewing my man out for manicures. Exactly. Share a little bit about this, but I'm just like, you know, by the way, is this how you hold it, Michael? Like, I'm calling him out now by know, first right? names. Okay. Like, we're um, best buds. Yeah, yeah. But tell me, because like, all of this is, we're stringing together. We started with like the idea of stories and yeah. moments and don't be late ever again. But now, you know, this is a little bit beyond maybe what you saw with Scott Stapp or her. Oh, definitely. You know, like. Yeah, so the, the waters is, is really cool. Um, I, uh, <clears throat> One thing I'll say is that I always get asked all the time, like, how do I look like you? You know, how, how, do, I, how do I get in the best shape? Like, how do, I, how do I do it like you do it? And one of the first things I always ask people is how much water do you drink a day? Mm. And, and almost every single person is either dehydrated or underhydrated, like everyone. And 79% of our body is water. Yeah. And it's, it literally can, it, it, creates balance in your hormones, it gives you energy, like there's so much that water does. It helps the brain, it helps your you know, thought process, it, it, it literally is, is kind of the, the staple of your life. And if you're not drinking enough water, you, most of the time you feel like crap, most of the time you, you are not uh, living in an optimal state. Um, and I always start with walking and water, mm. water and walking, like mm-hmm. almost all the time. Like most people are not walking, and most people are not drinking water. And again, kind of to take it back, and again, I, I can't stand bringing up the pandemic, but whatever, we'll, we'll, we'll go there because that's what happened is, uh, so when, when they closed us down on March 2020, right then, and you remember this, so yeah. you were there, right there with me. Right then and there, I said, I'm not gonna do what everybody else is doing. And I felt like everybody was gonna go lock themselves in their apartments and just start pounding alcohol like you know and, and drinking and stuff like that so i was like I'm which people not, did which people did yeah. exactly i was like i'm gonna stop drinking i'm not gonna drink at all and not that i was ever a big drinker but yeah, yeah. you know of course i liked a, a wine and a yeah. little whiskey every now and then so i was like i'm not gonna drink 
I'm not gonna miss a workout, I'm going carnivore, and I'm going to commit more than ever to my health because there's a scary thing out there and I yeah. don't wanna be a part of it. And so I did that and then I would go, I was, you know, of course I was the guy with no mask on at, at all the grocery stores, it was very well known um, yeah. around the town. And I would go and I was trying to find something that, you know, felt like a beverage. And that's when I came across Liquid Death and I was never ever a sparkling water drinker, but I was like, this looks cool, you know, let me try this. And so I started taking it and doing some crushed ice and pouring the sparkling water and doing like a little lime and lemon and, and it felt good at the apartment, you know, to drink like that because it felt like I was drinking a cocktail. Sure. And then I put them in my gyms when we were back open and they weren't really, I, you know, people weren't really identifying with it. It was, you know, death and skulls and 666. It was, it was a little like, off brand to say sure. the least, you know, we're about life and health and wellness. So people didn't really understand it. Uh, and I was like, my brand is kind of cool too. Like, you know, I was like, you know, my, my, my brand could work on a can. Like yeah. I was like, and I'd actually always wanted to do my own water. So I actually, um, talked to uh, a member at the time, JW Brewing, uh, Jonathan, and I was like, bro, I have this idea, I wanna do our own water, whatever, and he's like, eh, you know, we don't really do water, like we do beer though. I was like, why don't we do a beer? And so we collaborated on a beer, and the can actually looked very similar to yeah. this, and uh, it was a low ABV um, sour beer, and everybody loved it, it was a big success, it had added electrolytes, and it was, it was awesome. So we actually initially, we're gonna do a beer. Yeah. That was kind of our thing. And we did our due diligence. We met with a bunch of breweries and a bunch of people and, and it just, it turned into like, there's a three tier system. It was very, you know, Complicated. And, then, yeah. and one of my uh, uh, business guys, Adam Siegel was like, look, 50 people, 50 billion people drink beer, but 350 billion people drink water. Jeez. And we're coming out of the fitness industry. Let's do water. Let's go back to your original plan because that, that was always my original plan is do, to do our own version of a canned water. And uh, so then we put all our efforts into the water um, and now we are about to launch in, in January. Jeez. And it's, uh, it's, it's really, it's been fun. We're going to be an ultra premium still and sparkling water. We did several taste tests to be able to get to where we are today. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's really good water. Like it's, it's, it's probably, I mean, I'll have to, I mean, I know it's my water, but I'm telling you it's one of the best sparkling waters no, I've wonderful. ever had. It, it, what a guy described it the other day in the gym really well is he, he was like, it's a sparkling water you can chug. He was like most sparkling waters yeah. you can't chug. And I'm a, I'm a water drinker, so yeah. I like to chug it. And so it burns just enough where it gives you that kind of cool feeling, but it, but it doesn't uh, burn too much where you can't chug it but uh, it's a uh, reverse osmosis and it has added electrolytes. That's amazing. And, um, and yeah, is this, this is the final can right here? This is not the final can. It's so. not. And how many have you gone through? Just these are, these are labeled cans. Okay. Uh, the, the can that we're going to market with is actually a printed can. So it'll be matte, so the sparkling wow. will be matte black from here all the way to here. And then the, the actual, logo will be the actual can wow and it'll be printed so it's it's going to be nice and have you already uh, gotten a prototype for that and stuff we uh 
just ordered 355,000 cans and they will be delivered on the December 19th and then we will fulfill them and you'll be getting a gift box soon. There we go, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Right. Uh, and then we're launching. It's so. amazing, man. Thank um, you. I think one of the things I've always appreciated about you, um, yeah, I think everything, it's amazing because like you're very, very intentional, but it's also mixed with this beautiful flexibility and spontaneity, maybe. I don't know if spontaneity is the right word, but I think that is part of your spirit. But you're disciplined, you're intentional. But like even this, it's like two years ago we weren't talking about this. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. So it's like that's a flexibility. Maybe it's maybe it's the word opportunistic has such a negative connotation, although it shouldn't be. But I know why it gets that way. Right. It's like I think you're you're open to uh, the God ideas and the God opportunities. But you also live life with a very like you're up every day the same day. You're up very early, you work out, you do believe in routines, um, you go to work, you, you live out your, your mission. But one of the things I think it's really cool is you kind of always like named your year. And I think it's like sort of fascinating what yeah. you're kind of labeling this next year. Maybe just talk about that a little bit as we kind of come towards an end. Yeah, we, it's uh, important. And again, I think that's why it, it, I was always drawn to VU was all your, your teachings. You, you, you do just a great job with like, like I love how you start the sermons with like a phrase, yeah. you know, and then and then you like it all like ties in, and I think I think I, I took a lot from that, and so I'll take you back to the first year I um, picked a word, and it was consistency, and consistency was the first word I chose, and I was going through a real difficult time. It was early in our in my business days, and I was my back. I broke. I've broken my back several times, and I was dealing with a lot of pain. And so my mom and dad gave me a a warfare prayer, and it's like seven minutes long. And I said I was going to read it every single morning for a year, and I was going to be consistent with that. And so I'd walk on the treadmill every single morning and read that warfare prayer. Wow. And I did not miss a day. And I almost like got to a point where it was like, I felt like a little ritualistic after the year was over. And so I, I stopped doing it because I did feel a little ritualistic doing it, but, yeah. I, but, it was, but it was needed at the time. Yeah. And then the next year was commitment. Uh, the next year was momentum. Then the next year after that was uh, becoming, which again, you preached an amazing sermon on and I thought there was a lot of synergy there. But, um, and then, Last year, again, <laughs> another like kind of moment that we shared together was uh, during Vu Basil and like watching what you went through with, with uh, Virgil yeah. and that situation. I really just, I, I'm, I'm attracted to creatives. I, I just love like watching people that are gifted like that. And like yeah. he was like one of the best ever. And, and then you said something about just the way he lived his life. And, and so I was on the art trainer one day and it was just like, till my last breath, till my last breath. And so last year's was till my last breath. And basically it was like, you know, I will stay committed to what I said I was gonna do no matter the mood I'm in now. Mm. And I'm gonna keep doing it till my last breath. So that was last year's. And then um, this year, Again, I was like praying about it and thinking about it. And I was like, 
you know, what the heck is this year going to be? And uh, I thought of words like effort and I thought of words like enthusiasm and I was really big on enthusiasm. I thought enthusiasm was going to be what it was, yeah. but I, kept, I felt like it was kind of cheesy and corny and I was like, ah, I just don't know. And, um, it's a great word though. It is. I love enthusiasm. And I think that if you, if you don't. I think, it's, I think it's a great separator of people, by the way. Oh, 1,000 People don't realize it. It's like yeah. you just do it with some enthusiasm you'd be unforgettable. Exactly. Like, it, and like, also too, like if you don't I know have you mean it, it sounds, but it's like actually such a pivotal, like, but if you um, don't have enthusiasm, like, what do you have? Like, it's like, I'm not following, I'm not following you. you. I'm not, I'm not paying it. And especially in our world and in the fitness industry, oh, you can't be bland. You can't be not enthusiastic. Like you have to have energy, show it, give effort and have enthusiasm. Like that's just part of the job. Yep. And, and you're not allowed to have an off day. Like, if you're a coach of 40 to 50 people, you got to be on. Yep. That'd be like you showing up Sunday morning and be like, hey, so what's up, guys? Um, uh, I got nothing. I'm going to preach today. And like, nobody's going to listen to you. You yeah. know what I mean? But, you know, when you get hype and up there and you're, you know, I mean, some of your best days are when you're screaming at us. Like, it's, it's yeah. awesome. So, um, duly noted. <laughs> but it was funny because uh, I went to your, uh, what was it? Um, the bricklayers dinner. Yeah, yeah. And you, and I don't know if it was there, it may have been the next day, but I, I thought it was there. It might have been, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said, I get to give. Like yeah. you, you said I preached something. a sermon a couple weeks ago called, okay. it's called I Get it to Give. It was like, I get to give. And, and I had already, had already like read some other stuff about I get to do this. And I'd already talked to my staff of we have to stop operating in the space of I have to do this. We need to start yep. operating in a space of I get to do this. Like, you don't have to do it. And then here's another way. You don't necessarily have to want to do it, but you have to think and stay in the space that you get to do it. Totally. That it's an opportunity that others don't have. Like, our job, we should be so grateful for the opportunity that I get to do this. Mm. I get to be a father. I get to be a husband. I get to own legacy. I get to impact people. Like, like totally. if you can say that daily, then the days you don't want to do it, you realize that it doesn't matter. Absolutely. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like everyone operates so strongly on their emotional state, like where they are in that moment. And I've combated that in my own life so many times through action and through attitude that I know for a fact other people can do it. And a prime example is almost every day, I don't necessarily want to work out. There's, I don't like wake up and like my, you know, body's like, woo, like I don't, nobody, we don't wake up like that. People look at me and think that that's how, like I love to work out every day. That's not true. Right. Some days I do not want to do it. But because of the mindset that, yes, I've been granted breath in my lungs and this life that I, that I get to do it, then as soon as I start to warm up on the treadmill, stretch a little bit, then all of a sudden the blood flow starts happening. And then what do you, what do you know? You're, you're doing the workout and you actually feel better. Like you actually feel good. And I think that's, you might not want to go to the dinner. You might not want to ask the girl out. You might, but I guarantee you the other side of that is something that you're going to enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the conversation, the experience, you're going to walk away with, with something better for it because you took the initiative to do it. But most people, again, it goes back to what we, I think we started in the beginning is that 
they're not taking action. They're not, they're just waiting. Wait, sitting and waiting. Everyone waiting on, I'm not motivated right now. I'm not motivated. Yeah. Like, you know. Well, I think we're waiting on our feelings. And if you wait on your feelings, you might be waiting forever, you know? I like, mean, seriously. Feelings will catch up to your actions. And even just that simple little adjustment to your vocabulary, notice how many times you say, I have to. Sometimes we say it about things that we actually do want to do, but we change that with want to, to, to have to. Yeah. I, I have to go home now. Well, I want to go home. Right. Exactly. I have to put my kids down. No, I, I want to put my kids right. down. And so I think even changing the vocabulary to I, I get to go put my kids down, little things like that that have no feeling attached, just the change of vocabulary, even your subconscious and your spirit hearing words like that, produces a mindset uh, of gratitude. And gratitude is a secret weapon for all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all religions. Everyone. I, I'm a Jesus guy. Yes. And that's, I'm exclusively that. I think that he is the way to heaven and to God. But I'm saying I could teach any person, if they can start to think with a grateful heart, that quickly they're going to be happier, quickly they're going to be stronger, because it puts you into an empowerment stage of going, I'm not focused on what I'm missing. I'm focused on what I have. Right. And, and what so you many have people is operate. Enough. So many people it's operate. It's a scarcity mindset versus abundance. In the scarcity. That's exactly so what like, I was going to say. Everyone operates on what they don't have instead of what they do have. And it's, it's, it blows my mind. Like, and it's so many people as they focus on that. And then, like the other day when I was telling you to shut up in the, the in that cold plunge. In yep. the cold plunge is that. You're talking yourself out of it. I'm telling you, there's so much power in the things you tell yourself. Yep. And if you're, you're lying to yourself, if you're not having conversations with yourself, and if you're not having conversations with yourself literally all day long, then, you know, I don't know what's going on up there because I am in constant conversation with, I mean, maybe I'm crazy, but I'm, I'm in constant yeah. conversation and there's so many choices and decisions you can make based off you talking life into yourself instead of negative. And if you can simply operate in the space of I'm gonna speak positivity to myself, yep. then hopefully the outcome of that is, is positive. Yep. You know? I always say talk to yourself, don't listen to yourself. Exactly. You know what I mean? Oh because my God. Well, that's what I'm saying. We gotta tell ourselves to shut get up. Out loud. Yeah. Because that voice, like uh, the cold plunge to me, that's why I personally love the cold plunge. As soon as you get into the cold plunge, what happens? You start talking so much crap to yourself. Yep. It's cold. This hurts. I can't do it. Oh my. And I don't care how tough you are or who you are. Everyone, that happens to everyone. Yeah. And the ability to turn it off and to start saying the opposite and to stay in there with that mindset of like, no, it's not cold. No, I can do this. No, I'm going to stay. The commitment to stay in is, I think there's so much power in it. I mean, it's, it's, and all the health benefits. Yeah. But the mental strength that you get by staying in, by speaking opposite of what your mind is telling yeah. you, there's so much power in that. Well, it's so true that like breakthroughs always on like the other side of like what appears, feels, is breakdown. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I guess you could say breakdown usually leads to breakthrough, and that's what I love about working out. That's what I love about fitness. To me, it's uh, I wish I was better at meditating. I so believe in it. I'm not very good at it. I'm the not cold either, plunge so. is a forced meditation. Yeah. When that's I work, why I when like I work out with plunge. you, it's a forced meditation. Yeah. I can't worry about my marriage. I can't worry about the employee. 
I, I can't worry about the finance or it, when I'm when I'm pushing the sled. Right. It just I can't do both at once. Exactly. For me to push that sled is going to require my entire presence there, and that's what med- meditation is—the ability to sit here and be present. Right. And if you can do that just in your mind, go for it. I'm, I'm working on it. I'm two, three minutes, but like cold plunge, I, it's hard for me to think about my failure from the day before when I'm in that plunge. I'm trying to survive, and even that that fight or flight mode brings me present, and it's in the presence, in that moment, that's where peace is, and that's where serenity life all right. is. It's like everyone's living in yesterday or tomorrow, but the beauty of life is right here, right now, this moment, and so when we can put ourselves in that kind of state, beauty comes out of it. Amen. Amen. I agree. Well. I think that this is the year to say I, uh, I get to, and I'm glad I, I get I, I'm to glad do I this. got to do this conversation with yeah, you. Yeah, man, it was, it was awesome. very, very good. Thank Best you. Best yet to come for legacy. Amen. Live on, my friend. Definitely, definitely.